Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you worshiping with us. Uh, I know you're all anxious about the Hawks game coming up. We're going to be praying for them, I promise, because everybody's on the same team right now, right? Nobody cares about baseball yet. We're Hawks fans. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. I am Pastor Tim, the Move Your Butt Pastor. If you uh, happen to see the article in the Southtown, um, it's at my blog, timharlow.com, if you want to see it. They really did a nice job of uh, a big two-page article about Parkview and stuff that's going on here. And I thought they did a really nice job with it. It was kind of fun to have that going on, but I'm glad that you and your butt are here. We're doing Mountain Mountain Dew. We're doing this Mountain Dew thing. What is that about? Well, I love the mountains. I love to ski. I love the hike. I love to climb. I love the fresh air. And that's why, of course, God moved me to Chicago. Um <laughs> But the stories of the mountains are so cool in the Bible. I mean, and, and the stories of the things that happen on the mountain are going to lead us up to Easter. OK, let me say something about Easter. Eight services starting on Thursday, two on Friday, two on Saturday, three on Sunday. OK, we're doing eight so that you got plenty of room to invite your friends. I want to encourage you to do that right now. Be thinking about inviting somebody that doesn't have a church home, somebody that doesn't have any place to go uh, on Easter. There's no way you can't find one of those services that's going to work in your schedule. OK, so come out to Easter. But the next couple of weeks are going to really be important as we do these Mountain Dew things. As we're thinking about Mountain Dew, as, as we're getting ready for it, the, the mountains that we're doing today and next week are going to really lead us into Easter. OK, and, uh, and they also have to do with our obedience to God which is why the do is changed to D-O, okay? So we're mountain do. That's what we're doing. And today's story is one of the craziest stories in the Bible. Abraham and Isaac, Mount Moriah. It's crazy. It's like God is playing an April Fool's joke on Abraham. Did you have any bad April Fool's jokes played on you? I mean, nobody did. Nobody punked me too bad, but my wife tried. You know, I mean, kind of. I mean, it's like we're sitting there talking on April 1st and, and, and all of a sudden she I could just see like the light bulb go on in her brain. And she's like, oh, it's April 1st. I should do something. And so she turns to me and goes, by the way, I'm pregnant. I said, you suck at April Fool's, honey, because I know a doctor that would get a very unpleasant phone call if that were true. You know what I mean? Um, and evidently you do. In this uh, in this story today of Mount Moriah, it's like some kind of crazy April Fool's joke. Because sometimes it feels like the things that God asks us to do just don't make any sense. Can, can, can you agree with that? Hold up your hand if you if you believe that God does things sometimes that don't make any sense. Sometimes it's like God is talking. It, it feels like God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are all up in heaven talking some language that I don't understand. It's like my my little viral twins video. I've just got to show you. It feels like this when you're trying to understand God sometimes. feels like sometimes I feel like God is, is talking his language and I do not understand God what in the world are you talking about this does not make any sense to me if you want to turn in your Bibles I'm in Genesis 12 you can go almost 
all the way back to the beginning. And we're going to talk about Abraham. He actually starts out with the name Abram. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed by you. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, you've got to understand Abraham to understand Christian family. Now, let me tell you a couple of things about Abraham right up front. Number one, Abraham came from an ungodly family. We know this because it says that Abraham's family worshipped the idols from across the river, which meant... That they were not, they were not, they were not followers of God at all. They worshiped these idols. Okay. Ungodly family. And number two, there's nothing, I, I, I don't know that it's not true, but there's nothing recorded in scripture that tells us anything about why God chose Abraham. When God chose David, he, he could see into his heart and he chose the things of David's heart. When God chose Mary to be uh, Jesus' mother, he chose her because of her heart. But it doesn't say anything in the Bible at all about Abraham. Why is that important to you? Because, listen, if you came from an ungodly family, you may be like, well, I don't really know much about this God thing. And, you know, I didn't grow up with that and I don't know what I'm doing. Neither did Abraham. And you may be like, there's no redeeming quality in me whatsoever. I'm not sure my heart's good. I'm not sure there's anything I have to give for God. We're not. Neither did Abraham. You know, at some point, God chooses us to be on his kickball team because he chooses us, not because of our coordination. He just says, hey, let's go do something. And I guarantee you, God is doing that for each and every one of us. Okay, this promise had to sound really cool to a guy who is an idol worshiper. Okay, think about this for a second. Okay, Abraham worships idols all of his life. Oh, you are such a nice hunk of wood. I worship you, whatever. And never talks back to him. Right. Nothing ever happens. And then all of a sudden, one day. He hears this voice and not only does he hear this voice and he's going, hey, there's really a God out there. And I really know that there's something out there besides what I know and I'm, com- I'm comfortable with. Not only that, but this God is saying, hey, I'm here for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. And Abraham's thinking, this is awesome, man. If I ever have a problem now, I can just say, hey, say hello to my little friend because I've got my, I got this God guy taking care of me now. You know what I'm saying? Abraham and Sarah. Kicker to this whole verse is that the Bible doesn't tell us that God didn't tell them where they were going to go. He just said, I want you to leave your country. Now, what was their country? Let's get a little more background on this. They came from Ur. And I know that doesn't sound very glamorous, but in its day, Ur was a very cosmopolitan place. Ur would have been like New York or London or Chicago or a big cosmopolitan city. And Abraham and Sarah were wealthy. We know this. We know that they had a lot of possessions. Okay? So we know that they lived at, you know... A gated community, country club, had the nice vacations, all this kinds of stuff. As the Eagles would say, it was life in the fast lane for Abraham and Sarah. They knew all the right people. They took all the right pills. They threw outrageous parties. They paid heaven. Yeah, okay, you got it. But life wasn't perfect in the fast lane, as it often isn't. Because just down the hallway from their beautiful master suite was a nursery. Looked like it'd come out of a magazine, but it was dusty and had never been used. By this time, Abraham is 75 and Sarah is 65 years old. So I think that when God came along and said, hey, it's time to leave, they probably thought, well, you know, good retirement. Can, can, we, you know, can we go to Florida? Can we play shuffleboard? Is there a Bob Evans with an early bird special? Where are we going? 
we're, we're ready to make a change, okay? And, and I believe that's what was going on for them. I believe they were really ready to make a change and go do something else. But God didn't tell them where. He said, don't worry about the where. I'm not going to tell you where. I just want you to follow me. So they literally loaded up the truck and moved away from Beverly. It's important to notice, okay? It's important to understand this. The life of following God, the life of following God in your life is usually characterized by stepping outside of your comfort zone. If you're inside of your comfort zone and God asks you to do something, then you don't really need God to help you do it. But when he asks you to do something outside of your comfort zone, that's when you and God start really getting things done. That's when things really, really start to happen. Okay? Now, the faith of Abraham is classic. We all know it. That's what he is called the father of our faith. I also want to point, I'm just going to point out some things along the way as we go with this story. I'll get into it in just a second. Abraham was not perfect. There were several places along the way where Abraham didn't trust God. I don't want you to think, oh, this story's crazy. I could never do that. I would probably mess up. So did Abraham. There were two times when, and this is funny because Abraham's wife is 65, but she must be a smoking hot 65. You know what I'm saying? Because there's two times when he goes to another country and he says, hey, honey, you're really smoking hot and I'm afraid they're going to kill me if they know you're my wife. So tell them you're my sister. Chivalry, you know, it's beautiful. Who says chivalry is dead? You know, just, just don't let him kill me. You let him have you and it'll be fine, right? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that Abraham does along the way. But the important part is that we find out right up front in Genesis 12:4, it just says, so Abram left as the Lord had told him. I, I mean, I, sometimes I just like the simple verses in the Bible. God said, come on, let's go. I'm going to bless the world through you. And Abraham says, cool. Not a lot of fanfare, just God said jump, and he said how high, okay? We are talking about this in our worship committee. we got a group that plans these services out and does all this stuff together. And we are talking about how interesting it is that we can get animals to obey, but people can't obey, you know? You know what I'm saying? And for whatever reason, we can get our animals to do what we want them to do, and we can't have people. And one of the guys, Jason, has a dog that uh, he has trained, and, uh, and um, I'm going to let him bring the dog out. Because I want you to meet. Come on. Come on. Oh, it's just a dog, man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, baby. Cops What's the dog's dog. name, Jason? Wrigley. Come on, Cubs fans. Let's go, Cubs fans. Now, now we can Come cheer, here, right? Come here, baby. You had three cheers for you out there. That was awesome. All right, what can you do for us, Wrigley? All right, Wrigley. Sit. Hey, sit. Good boy. No, quiet. Good boy. Good boy. You're a little excited this service, huh? Yeah. Sit. Give me five. Good boy. Down. Good boy. Speak. Good boy. Quiet. Stick them up. Stick them up. <laughs> Come on. Stick them up. All right. Doesn't like to do that. What else could he do? Well, he can wait for his, his treat. Wrigley can wait. Yep. That's funny right there, I'm just saying. Wait. Down. Wait. He can wait a while. Look at his little head shaking. Good boy. I want it so bad. I want it so bad. Way to go, Wrigley. (laughs) 
How, how is it that we can train an animal to do that and God can't train us, you know? I mean, sometimes God just says, I want you to wait. I want you to do what I want you to do. I know you don't understand it. I know you're hungry. I know you really want to eat your treat. I know you really want those things to happen in your life. But I'm the, I'm the owner. I'm the master. I want you to just keep your eyes on me and obey what I have to say. And then I will give you the treat. And the treat will be better than you could possibly imagine. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, um, Lord, what can you give me because I don't have a kid? How, how, can I, how can you bless the world through me if I don't have a kid? And the word of the Lord came to him, and he took him outside, and he said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Have you ever been in a situation where you went out and looked up at the stars and it was, you know, I'm in a really dark place. Uh, I was in, uh, up in Eagle River, Wisconsin last summer and I was with some friends at their, at their lake place on Catfish Lake and we were out there hanging out and looking at the stars and Becca, my youngest, said that she'd never seen a shooting star. So Brian, who we were hanging out with, said, well, forget it, we got to go out and find one right now. I mean, it's like midnight. And we went out on a pontoon boat in the middle of Catfish Lake and laid out in the, you know, up there where there's no other lights going on and looked up at the stars. And it was unbelievable. I mean, you just miss so much when you're in the city. It was unbelievable. Five minutes in, here came a shooting star all the way across the whole sky. It was just incredible. It would have been like that even better for Abraham because there's obviously no street lights around. There's no other lights around. There's no pollution. He's looking up in the sky and he's going, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to have that many descendants, which is so funny. Because what did God say? Look up at the stars if you can count them. Here's, here's what's funny about this story. Here's what's funny about this. The scientists tell us that without a telescope, you can see maybe at best 10,000 stars in the sky. You go out in the country this, this evening and look up at the sky and maybe if it's clear, you could see 10,000 stars. How many stars are there? Millions, billions. We know that because we have telescopes now. God knew that because he created them and continually creates them. So here's the funny part of the situation. Abraham's looking up at the sky and he's going, wow, I'm going to have 10,000 descendants. And God's looking up at the sky going, you're so silly. You're going to have billions of descendants. You just can't see it yet. That's important to me. Because that's what God does to me all the time. And that's what God does to us all the time. We see this and God sees that. Right? Don't you know that? I mean, I, I was thinking back in our life. When he asked Denise and I to move here to this God-forsaken place 21 years ago. <laughs> where you only see the sun for like an hour a week and it's always during when I want you to come to church, right? <laughs> when, he, when he asked us to come here 21 years ago, what we could see was a 10,000 square foot building over on 84th Avenue. What we could see was the promise of 10,000 stars. It was the promise of maybe having two services in that auditorium that sat 200 people. Maybe on Easter we could have three services and dozens, seeing dozens of people baptized and come to the Lord. That's what we could see. But God, what you see before you, had this in mind. You see, that's the difference. When, when a newspaper reporter writes about how we're overcrowded with 6,000 people a weekend, that's out there. That's stuff that we could never see 21 years ago. And that's how God works. 
God, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God shows us this far and then the rest of it is out there. That's why we trust him because what he wants is always what's better than what we could possibly ever see. But it starts with faith. So Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham believed and God said, good boy, Wrigley. Okay. So Abraham left. Abraham and Sarah, they left their posh place in Ur and went out into the boonies following God. And they waited for this child to come. And they waited and they waited and they waited. Genesis 17, two chapters later, but 24 years later, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him again and told him he was still serious about him having this kid. 24 years later, why did God wait so long? Because God wants to make sure that it's humanly impossible, that it has to be a miracle. That's what God does in our lives over and over again. In case you're at a point right now where you're thinking, God, why don't you hurry up? If he's not hurrying up, it's because he's waiting so that you can understand that it's all about him and it's not about you and what you can figure out. Okay, that's that's the point here. And the question, of course, is if Sarah is a smoking hot 65 year old, that's one thing. But can she have a baby at 90? That's another. And do you still even do that thing that makes babies when you're 190? Well, evidently you do. And they did because along came Isaac. What does Isaac's name mean? Laughter. Laughter. Because that is stinking funny. A hundred-year-old guy and a 90-year-old lady having a kid. I mean, think about it for a second. You're buying formula with your Social Security check. That's crazy. You're all eating strain peas because there's not a tooth in the entire place. That's funny. John Ortberg said they're the only people at Walmart buying Huggies and Depends at the same time. But you can imagine that if... As much as our kids are bring laughter to us, as much joy as our children bring to us, and some of you have been in situations where you had infertility issues and it really took a lot of extra time and care and medical procedures and all things to have a kid, it, those, those children are probably even more special to you. Imagine if you've waited 70 years to have a child. I mean, Isaac was the joy of their life. He was laughter and he was the child of the promise. He was the first star, right? He probably had little stars in his room, little star, you know, mobile going around over his crib because he was the first star. Okay. And and through him, the Messiah is going to come and through him, the whole world is going to be blessed. But then we get to the mountain. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said, Abraham, take your son your only son, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, Mount Moriah, and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Abraham had to be waiting for God to say, April fools, didn't he? He had to be thinking, ah, blah, 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 that does not make any sense to me. What, what are you talking about? We don't know any of that. We don't know any of the dialogue. All we know is like Wrigley Abraham said, if you want me to do it, then I'm going to go do it. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. 
It's okay if you will agree with me on this, but there are some hard passages in the Bible. Look, can we just admit that? There are some hard passages in the Bible. God did some things that are hard for me to understand. I don't understand why he did them. I'm going to just be honest with you right now. That's the truth. I don't understand why God did a whole lot of things that God did. And this story is one of them. It goes against all of the laws that he's going to create later. and He's going to give to Moses. It goes against the very character of God that he would ask somebody to give up their son like that. And the author of the text knows that we're going to struggle with this. So the author of Genesis writes at the very beginning of this that this is going to be a test. This is a test that God sent him out to be tested. But Abraham doesn't know that. Abraham can't turn to Genesis 22 and go, wait a minute. Oh, this is going to turn out okay. All right, I'm going to Moriah. All Abraham knows is God asked him to do something crazy and he does it. Trust me, it's hard to let your kids go. Been doing it for a while here. It's, It's even hard... To let them have their driver's license. Have you seen this Subaru commercial? I've got to show this to you because it just gets at the tiny bit of the emotion that Abraham had to be feeling. So, uh, your seat good? Get the mirrors all adjusted. You can see everything okay? Just stay off the freeways, all right? I don't want you going out on those yet. Just leave your phone in your purse. I don't want you texting. Okay? Daddy, okay. Okay. Daddy, okay. There you go. Be careful. Thanks, Dad. Call me, but not while you're driving. We knew this day was coming. That's why we bought a Subaru. <laughs> Classic. Classic commercial, because that's what it feels like. All of a sudden, you've got to let him go. But Abraham's not letting Isaac go to the mall. Abraham's been asked to do the ultimate. Take your son, God said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and give him up. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And not only was Isaac his precious son, He was the child of the promise. I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize that if you kill your only son, you're not going to have any grandkids, right? I kept that thought in mind every time I wanted to kill one of my kids, you know, and you should too. And there's no way to get grandkids if you kill them now. Just hang on. It's going to get better, okay? I, I, I mean, this doesn't make any sense. So why would Abraham trust this voice? The same reason Moses trusted the voice last week and Elijah trusted the voice the week before that. Go back and listen to those sermons if you haven't. Because they'd heard the voice before. I mean, if the first thing you ever hear out of God's mouth is, Hey, dude, I want you to go sacrifice something for me. The guy's going, I don't know who you are, but I'm not listening to you. But the first thing that Abraham hears from God is, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And along the way, God says, you're going to have a baby. And lo and behold, at the combined age of 190 years together, they have a baby. So, so Abraham knows that this voice, whatever this voice is, wherever this voice is coming from, is a true voice. And so Abraham says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen to you. Uh, We're not told enough about the story. We're not told about the sleepless night that Abraham had the night before. We're not told about, you know, how he had a conversation with Isaac and said, "Okay, we got to go on a little trip, buddy. You know, pack up your backpack. Let's go. We're not told about any of the emotions that are going on. I wish we were. But it says in verse four, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. That one just kind of stuck me. On the third, you know, he's walking. He's thinking this is crazy. Something's got to happen. And on the third day, he looks up and he sees Mount Moriah. And you know his heart had to have been in his throat. Genesis 22.5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. I don't want you to think that he didn't have his doubts. 
Okay, we know that he had doubts along the way. Why do we know that? Well, I told you about, you know, take this, you know, take my wife. She's just really my sister. They also, obviously, if you don't know the story, got impatient with God and tried to do it their own way, like so many of us do. And, and, and Abraham took uh, Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and they had a baby with Hagar named Ishmael. And they, you know, they did their own things, trying to figure out God their own way. And I know that they had doubts. I know that Abraham had doubts. I want to tell you, I have doubts. I, I want to be honest with you. I have doubts about Bigfoot. I have doubts about Elvis being alive. I have doubts about aliens coming down and abducting people on earth. Because if aliens are smart enough to figure out how to get all the way to earth, they They'd pick smarter people to take back up in the ship with them. You know what I'm saying? I have doubts about a lot of things. I have doubts about God sometimes. I have doubts about the ability and the power of God sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. And I think it's okay because David was a man after God's own heart. David wrote a hundred verses in the Psalms about the faithfulness of God. But he also wrote hundreds of verses about why God didn't do things the way in his confusion and his disappointment with God. And he wrote all those things down and they're in the Bible. And so did a lot of the authors of the Bible. They wrote down their confusion. It's okay to have doubts. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that Abraham had his doubts. I'm positive that it wasn't easy for him. But in verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together by themselves. This is the verse that will get you if you're a parent. Isaac spoke up and said, Father, the fire and the wood are here. Well, where's the lamb? How do you answer that question? Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it, bound his son Isaac. Isaac was probably a preteen teenager by this time. So either Isaac was overpowering him or, or Abraham overpowered him or Isaac said, okay, I'm going along with this plan too. We don't know that information. Laid him on the altar on top of the wood and he reached out his hand and he took his knife to slay his son. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I usually read this story, I just kind of skip right on through and get to the next part because I know how it turns out. I know the end of the story. There's too much drama here. I don't want to linger here, but I'm thinking for just a second we ought to. Because what I'm thinking is that there's probably a lot of you in this room right now, and you're right here in your life. And you're like, you're in this place where God is asking you to do something that you just don't understand. I don't understand you, God. Is this April Fool's? Are you talking gibberish to, to Jesus up there? I don't understand. All I know is I feel like you've asked me to do something or stay at something or, or whatever, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're in that place. Verse 11 says, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I mean, you know he's waiting for something to happen. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up in the thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So so Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, to this day, it is said... On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Mount Moriah. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So I ask you, 
in your own life, what is that? Where, 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 where is it that you're feeling like this? Where is it you're feeling like God's asking you to do something that's really, really hard? If you're single, maybe it's your dating life. Maybe you're, you're at a point right now where you're like, God, come on. You've got to come through. I mean, I, I, I need you to find the right person for me, and this isn't happening. You and I both know that there's a good person out there that you want me to be with, or at least I'm praying that. How come this hasn't happened? You come to the mountain, and the mountain of the Lord, He will provide. Either He will provide the right person, or He will provide you the courage and the strength to be the best single person that He wants you to be. Maybe it's your marriage. You're right here. You're like, I'm obeying. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And that person's not doing all the things they're supposed to do. When are you going to come through? When are you going to provide? On the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. Maybe the mountain due for you is with your finances. You know, God, I know you want me to save more and spend less and give. And and I know you want to do things different, but I just don't see how this is going to happen. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. You just obey what you know. You just obey what he told you to do. Maybe it's your career and you're tempted to really work too hard and, and overdo it because you're so concerned about making yourself get along down the road and make enough money for your family. And God says, hey, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be the person that you want, that, that you need in your life. On the mountain of the Lord, Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. Maybe, maybe for you, you just haven't done the Mountain Dew of ever starting in the first place. Surrendering to Christ. You never just said, I, I, I'm going to follow you, God. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be yours. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I, I want this to happen. You know that almost everybody in the Bible that got, that got saved went and got baptized immediately. Maybe you've been thinking about baptism, and that's your Mountain Dew. That's something you need to do. You need to go get in the water and, and submit to the death, burial, and resurrection. Of, I, I don't know what it is. It's time to take a swig of Mountain Dew and just say, I know that you're going to provide for me. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, because you know he can't say I swear to God because he is, right? I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and make your descendants, and listen to this, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham's going, yeah, okay, I get that. And as the sand on the seashore. You see, even though Abraham and and nobody until we invented a telescope didn't know that there were as many stars as there are grains of sand on the seashore, God already did. And now Abraham's starting to get the fuller picture of what this is all about. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. I'll be honest, this message really... uh, resonated, I guess, if not bugged me this week, because we're giving up all of our kids. (laughs) I mean, literally, within a 15-day period. Our daughter's getting married, May 27th, right here in this building. It's the royal wedding. I don't know if you've heard of another one, but this is the royal wedding. She's marrying a guy from England. Ash and Rachel are getting married here on May 27th. Now, I just want to say this right up front. You're all invited to the wedding. Okay, and I mean that we're going to have it in here, so we might as well have a crowd. If you'd like to come and watch me cry like a little girl, May 27th, it's a, it's the Friday of Memorial Day. It's at three o'clock in the afternoon. You have to get off work a little early to come because we have to do it on Friday because we have weekend services here. But Friday afternoon, three o'clock, you're all welcome to come. If you want to go to their website, HarrisonHarlow.com, on the far right, you can RSVP and tell us you're coming. We, but we, that doesn't even matter. Just show up. We have already made 1,200 scones for you because we're having high tea at four o'clock after the wedding. Okay. 
because that's what we're doing, you know, it's the English thing and he's coming over and doing all that. But but that's it's just been pretty incredible to be thinking about my daughter getting married. Had the big wedding shower for her yesterday. It was phenomenal. Got a house full of loot that she walked away with. And all these things are are starting now, you know, that's, that's start, starting to happen. And Rachel's always lived in Nashville, well, since she started off to college. And that was hard because, you know, seven, eight hours away for our first kid to go to college, that's what happened, and she lives there now. But the truth of the matter is, they could live in England at some point along the way, because that's where he's from, and that's the campus ministry that they met at. See, in her junior year of college, God wasn't happy enough with my daughter being seven hours away. He wanted her to be a nine-hour flight away, and he wanted her to go to England. And she started a campus ministry over there with some other some of her friends, and that's where they, that's where she met Ash, who was an agnostic at the time. And they became friends, and they started talking, and he became a Christian, and they started dating. And it's you know just one of those Disney kinds of stories. And now they're and now they're getting married, but they could easily live very far away. And I am Steve Martin. That's what, that's the way it works right now. Okay. Don't talk to me about hot dog buns. Okay. And one week later, one week later, after the wedding, my youngest daughter, Becca graduates from Lincoln, Lincoln Way East high school. And right now, one of her two top school choices is in Los Angeles, California. I don't know what we've done to our children to make them leave the nest so far, but um, that's what she's thinking. So we got the wedding one week. The next week, the daughter graduates from, from high school. And the next week, Lauren, our middle child, the good child who stayed close to home and went to Wheaton College, or at least I thought she was a good child, that next week, she lives for Cochabamba, Bolivia for six months. I don't even know where that is. Do you? I like saying it, Cochabamba, that's fun, but I think it's by Ireland. I'm not sure where it is at all. I have no idea. For six months. I'm not going to see her for six months. She's going to Bolivia. That's three weeks. we got a wedding, a graduation from high school, and leaving for six months for Bolivia. And that's the way our life is gone, and that's the way it's going to go. And then we may, in August, take back to California, and then, like, the next week I'll turn 50. I mean, i got, like, every possible stressor going on in my life at the same time. I just need my house to burn down or something and everything will be perfect, right? <laughs> but why would we allow that to happen? Why would, I, why, why would I do that? Well, you know, I keep coming back to this story and thinking if God asked Abraham to give up Isaac, and I mean really give up, then it, and he asked me to give up my daughter to go to Bolivia or he asked my daughter to marry some guy from overseas or he asked me to let my daughter go to California to go to school or whatever ends up happening, whatever he asks for. Here's, here's what I keep coming back to, okay? What I can see for my kids is here and what God can see for my kids is out there. I don't know what it is in your life that you're struggling with right now, but here's what I know. What you can see is right here, and what God can see is out there. So whatever it is that He's asking you to give up, whatever it is that He's asking you to obey Him in, Mountain Dew, be strong, obey Him, go to the mountain of the Lord, and He will provide. Not just the stars you can see, but the stars that are out there, the sand of the seashore that's out there. There's so much more, immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine. So when God says jump, just ask how high and see what happens. Now, here's the key. I come back to this. Close up. Genesis 22, 5. He said to his servants, 
Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. I don't know if you caught this. I tried to emphasize it a little bit. It says, we will worship him. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you notice that? Abraham was ready to take his son's life, but somehow he knew that he and Isaac were going to come back. And I don't think he was just saying that because he was trying to cover up what was getting ready to happen. I think he was saying it because he believed that if God gave him this child at a hundred, which is impossible, that God could give him back this child. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew writer said, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said it's through Isaac that everything's going to happen. And Abraham reasoned, the Hebrew writer said, that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead, didn't he? Somehow, Abraham figured out that if God can make a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old have a kid, that God could raise Isaac back from the dead. Or God can stop this, or God can do whatever. All, All Abraham knew was when the voice of God speaks... I'm going to listen. I'm going to obey as best I can because he always has the out there plan and I only have this plan. It's interesting analogy about rock climbing, really, isn't it? When you get closer to the top, I don't know if you've done any climbing. If you get closer to the top, it gets harder. Isn't that true? I mean, usually when you're usually when you're rock climbing, usually when you're climbing a mountain, you know, at first you're just walking up a slow incline and then you get especially if you get up above tree level, you start getting higher and higher. And the higher you get, the harder the climb becomes because you're getting closer to the peak. But it's only as you get closer to the top that you're able to see the beautiful panoramic view. If you want to stop down here where it's easy, that's all you're ever going to see. If you want to keep climbing and get up to the top, it's not going to be easy. It's always going to be outside of your comfort zone. And that's always where the best view is. John Cavanaugh went to work with uh, Mother Teresa in Calcutta, India when he was in his 20s. And he was trying to figure out a spiritual life while he's working with Mother Teresa. Had been an incredible experience. And he writes about one time when he went to Mother Teresa and he asked if she would pray for him. And she said, of course I will. What would you like for me to pray for? And John said, I asked her to pray for clarity in my life. Mother Teresa said, No, I'm not going to pray for clarity. He said, why not? She said, because I've never had clarity in my life. All I've ever had is trust. What I will pray for you is that you will learn to trust. Remind my soul. I like that. Because that's what it really takes. And that's why we come together. That's why we get together so that we can remember what it is that God has done for us. We can remember that, that God promises, that His promises are always true. And that we can know that no matter what it is that's going on in our life, that God is there and He wants to provide. We can know these things. Forty-two generations later, Abraham has a great, 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 great grandson. He was born in a manger supernaturally, grew up, died on a cross, rose again, and he's our Savior. Abraham could have disobeyed. He could have gone his own way. He could have said, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing what you asked. And God would have found a different way to bring the Savior. But because Abraham believed, God credited it to him as righteousness. 
and he became the father of the faith. Interesting thing about it is that Mount Moriah, in case you don't know, is actually the same place as Jerusalem. Because when David set out to build the temple, he wanted to build the temple, and Solomon, his son, they wanted to build the temple on the spot where Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac. And so that's exactly what happened. In Jesus' day, the temple of the Lord was on the very spot on Mount Moriah. It is in the center of Jerusalem, inside the walled gates. Over the course of time, the Muslims, the Jews, the Christians have all really fought over this and argued over this spot. And when the temple was down and the Muslims were in control of Jerusalem, they built the Dome of the Rock. And the Dome of the Rock is what you see there now. That is their holy place. Why? Because we all go back to Abraham. He's the father of all of it. We all go back there. And everybody wanted a piece of that very, very holy spot. The, the, the really crazy thing about it is that when Jesus was tried by, by Pilate, when Jesus was tried in the, in the temple by the religious leaders, all of that was going on on Mount Moriah, on the very same spot. And when they took him out to crucify him, it was somewhere, we don't know exactly where, it was somewhere right around the same spot where God stepped in to keep Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. But this time, God didn't intervene. Because there did have to be a sacrifice for our sins. Somebody had to pay for the things that I've done wrong. Somebody had to make me whole. Somebody had to make me clean. The blood of the Lamb had to be shed so that I could have a free record and live forever. So this time God didn't step in and Jesus went to the cross. And I think a lot of times when we come to our communion time where we are now, we think about Jesus and we talk to Jesus because he's the one who gave up his life. But maybe right now, especially if you're a parent, it be appropriate to think about what God gave up. Because that's how Abraham would have felt, but God did feel that way. And not only that, but he had to turn his back from Jesus on the cross. And Jesus cried out, Dad, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because he had my sin. And it had to go away. We're going to celebrate communion now. Maybe this is a good time for you to think about what Jesus and what the Father did for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Uh, Thank you for loving me. As a perfect parent, you gave up your only son so that whoever believes in him could not perish but have everlasting life. And I could be adopted into the faith. And I could be one of those stars that you promised Abraham. Even though I'm not from the right heritage, I could be adopted in and I could be a part of the family of God forever. And I could be saved from my sins and I could have the kingdom of God go on forever in my life. And it started already. Be with me as I learn to obey, as I learn to, to do things the way you ask me to, whether I understand them or not. Help us all as we come to the mountain and the mountain and do what we're supposed to do on the mountain, knowing that the Lord will provide. Be with us as we commune right now. And we remember all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.